how does the Christian live in this world? Good morning, everyone. This is Daniel. We're going to be steeping in the word in Romans 8. We're going to look at a big chunk this morning. It's going to be from verse 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once again, we are confronted with the foolishness of the cross. Paul lists off a bunch of things that we are afraid of. When we think of what we need in this life, we want a roof over our heads, we want food in our bellies, and a good show on the TV to watch. But that is not what God designed us for, it's just for comfort. We've seen already he's made us to glorify him in all things. So in asking how the Christian is to live in this world, we cannot be focused on outcomes. We cannot look at an end goal that is merely material or visible. We have to be looking beyond. We have to be looking at a thousand years from now, five thousand years from now, a million years from now. And what shows through, what is remembered in the legacy of the saints is their faithfulness. It's not the saints themselves that are remembered. It's God's faithfulness that was given to them so that he might show forth his glory. The only accomplishment that it was accomplished by any one man in history that will be remembered, at least the most clearly, is the cross. All else shall fade in light of what he has done for us. Even the most noble sacrifice on the field of battle for our country, those things will be forgotten. And those who sacrifice those things won't be any worse for wear. They will be wrapped up in love of the one who was the most faithful. We are all little tributaries and little streams bubbling down and will be awash together in one mighty river that leads to the sea of glory. I've always liked the jokes about what it will be like when we get to heaven and we'll go find, you know, grandma and ask her about the recipe we never could figure out, or we'll go ask Paul what he was thinking when he wrote a certain verse, or We'll rent the videotape to see exactly what happened at a certain point in history. But individuals and individual events are only individual so long as they lend to upholding the glory of Christ. It never was about us. We don't have to worry about the trials we'll face on earth because those trials ultimately point the whole world to Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us leads into 
verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So he's giving us these gifts for our good so that we might pour it back out. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? He has given us, as Ephesians says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Well, where are they? They're in the heavenly places. The glory that is going to be revealed to us. The, the creation here in Romans 8 is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. So who shall bring any charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. He's not worried about the trials we will face here on earth. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is indeed interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And he gives a scripture here to show how the prophets and the people of God are always pursued by evil men. But he says these things are nothing in light of what God has called us to. No, verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. These verses are speaking of assurance. We looked at how God chooses us before the foundation of the world and plans all things. He predestines them so that we might be conformed to the image of his Son, and then he calls us and justifies us and glorifies us so that we might be his children. And we said before that God doesn't start a project and then forget about it. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Because God has completed all of that work for us, nothing can take us away from that. When we walk through this world, we don't need to worry about the state it's in. We don't need to worry about what's going to happen to our children. The Romans, to which this letter is addressed, suffered much more than we as Americans ever have. That's not a guilt trip. That's just a reality. Look at these things. Tribulation, or trials, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Those things that men fear most cannot separate us from the love of Christ. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Christians aren't always miraculously fed as Jesus was in the wilderness, but even if it is the case, that story is preceded by 40 years of fasting. No, what the Christian says is verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life will be able to separate us from the love of God. Nor angels nor rulers will be able to separate us from the love of God. Nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Because we have a steady hope, he says, I am sure, because of who Christ is and who God is. The Christian says, I was facing the wrath of God for all eternity. What's a sword going to do to me? I have much more hope in heaven for comfort and joy and peace and fulfilling a good purpose than I have here on earth. I have nothing left. 
here for me. Therefore, nothing can separate me from the love of God, the assurance that he will pull me through to the end and raise me up in glory. We are conquerors in Christ because he has conquered sin and death for us. So how does the Christian live in the world? Whether you think that it's your job to affect a change in the political sphere or be just a faithful parent, whether you're a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker, how you choose to live in the world is to live knowing that Christ has conquered the world for you and loves you no matter what. No matter what you face, no matter how evil the world may seem, he will unravel evil, wind the clock back, and set us in a place of glory that we were always intended to be in. The Christian lives in the world by walking next to his Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Romans and what it is doing for my heart. We find comfort in your cross alone, that we don't run to our own thoughts and opinions for answers in how to fix the world. The world doesn't need fixing. It's been conquered. What the world needs is to run to your safe haven. So, Father, let us run to your gates and plead that you might let us in and let us preach to the world boldly about what they must flee and to whom they must flee. Thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy and your justice. Amen.